Well, last week we started a new series on prayer, and we just encourage you to pray more this week. If you're not accustomed to spending much time in prayer, I encourage you to start making that a habit and to start making that a priority in your life. I know that in the last six, eight months as I've doubled down on my efforts to pray more and to spend more time with the Lord, I've just seen God do some incredible things. So let me just encourage you to do the same thing, and uh, if you just are accustomed to just praying a little bit in the morning, keep doing that and then add to it a little bit. And uh, I know last week as I was talking to you about that, it's just kind of a reminder that all of us, we need the prayer. I mean, does anybody not want prayer? Anybody not want you to pray? anybody to pray for you? That's what I thought. We all need the prayer. We all welcome the prayer. We encourage you to pray. And uh, so let me just encourage you to do that. I hope that you are able to practice more of that this week. And so we're going to continue our series in prayer today, praying in confidence. And we're reminded often that we all face difficult circumstances. I think if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are exempt from those difficult circumstances. And as I think of Moses, most likely none of us will ever stand before tens of thousands, let alone millions of people who are uh, griping and complaining and blaming him for the problems that they're facing. And uh, I, I don't think any of us will ever have to do that. They were so angry at him that they considered stoning him. And the weight of Moses' responsibilities must have been heavy. And as if that were not enough, he now has the Amalekites coming against him. And uh, so if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 17... So we're going to be, but until you get there, let me just share a little bit more introduction. But hypothetically, what if the outcome of that battle, and really any difficult situation you can think of, any undesirable situation that you may be facing, those circumstances that none of us would choose, none of us would pick if we had an opportunity, when those things happen, what if the outcome of those circumstances were really up to us? What if it were really on our shoulders? And how we responded really does determine the outcome. And it does in some ways. But Moses wore that responsibility. I mean, if you could press on despite being tired, exhausted, despite feeling incapable, despite feeling completely overwhelmed, and were able to get through the battle, great, everyone be fine, no problems, everyone goes on as normal, no harm done. But what if, on the other hand, you decide that the battle is just too hard? Remember, this is on your shoulders. The outcome is up to you and how you respond to it. It's on you. What if you decide it's just too much? It's too overwhelming. It's too great. I, I just don't want to deal with it. Well, then what? You're just too tired. This isn't fair. And Besides, why should you have to deal with this kind of a battle? What would the outcome of that decision look like? Today we're going to see an example from Moses' life and how he felt responsible to win a battle and how prayer helped him win that battle. And I don't care what the circumstance is that we're facing. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. There are no coincidences. There are no happenstances. There's no chance. There's no luck. God has a plan for all of us. Amen? And there's a reason for everything that we go through. And you have to believe that. In the, in the very beginning, as you go forward, as you take your first steps in, in dealing with circumstances, you have to know that God has a reason for them. We may not always know at the moment, but I've been amazed over the years to be able to look back in hindsight and say, God knew exactly what he was doing. I could see the hand leading up to this point. So notice the story. 
If you would follow along as I read Exodus chapter 17, beginning with verse 8. It says that Rephidim, Amalek, came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with a sword. Right away in verse 8, the Amalekites, I can't even get the word out, the Amalekites came to fight against the Israelites. I mean, notice really, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us why they came. It doesn't say that they're at war with them. It doesn't give us all the details of what the circumstances were. It just tells us that the Amalekites came and began to fight against them. It would seem that the children of Israel were, quote-unquote, minding their own business. They were doing life as normal. They were just kind of going about their day-to-day business. Interestingly enough, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18, tell us the true nature of the the Amalekites, and that they were really cowards. They were really just people who were just trying to take more territory. They were people who didn't really... uh, have an agenda other than they just wanted to hurt people. But Moses is in a difficult situation here. Chaos is everywhere. What would what would you do if you're in his sandals? I mean, you, once again, you're going about your day-to-day business. Life is just happening as normal, and all of a sudden the armies come against you. What would you do? Would you run? Would you cower in fear? Would you go hide in the hills and really put yourself in this situation? It doesn't matter what the situation is. See, every one of us has an opportunity to respond to the things that we would never choose. Nobody chooses to have cancer. Nobody chooses to break a leg. Nobody chooses to have an engine blow up on their car. Nobody chooses a lot of things that God allows in our lives. Nobody would choose those things. But you absolutely have every responsibility to decide how you are going to respond to those things. Moses didn't run. He didn't go and hide. So Moses is in a difficult position here with chaos going on everywhere. Would you respond in faith and obedience? And really, God has a purpose, as we've said over and over through many different sermons, that God has a purpose behind everything He does. And I think the overwhelming priority purpose is this is that God would be glorified through it. We pray that God would take away the sickness. We pray that God would bring healing. But the bigger issue is, am I praying that God would be glorified through it? Am I praying that I would learn the lessons that God wants me to learn through them? Because He has a purpose and He has a reason. And the question that really came to my mind as I was reading through Exodus chapter 17 once again is this. Do I really have an understanding of the importance of prayer in my life? Do I really, really understand that? I don't think we do. I think for a lot of us, in the big pie of life, prayer is just one little slice rather than the entire pie. 
Does that make sense? We give God a little slice of it. I mean, when you think of all the minutes and hours in a day, how much do we give to God, really, in communication with Him? God's Word reminds us, as we were reminded last week, it says we're to pray without ceasing. Being in an attitude of prayer, no matter what is taking place, no matter what we're doing, no matter what is going on in our life, being able to just talk with God and spend that time with Him intimately, regardless of what's going on around us. Do we really do that? Do we really go to Him with an understanding that, God, you have to work, or this is not going to change. God, you have to show up, or else I fail. God, you have to do something. Do we really understand the importance and the necessity of prayer in our lives? I don't think we do. Maybe you disagree, maybe you agree, but do we understand the effectiveness of prayer in our life? Just give me a, give you a point of interest here. It seems like this is when Satan likes to attack, when things are just kind of okay. I mean, here the Israelites are, right? I mean... For the most part, God's taken care of them in the book of Exodus. They've done, gone through their griping and their complaining, and they want food, God gives them food. And they want water, God gives them water. And, and everything's just kind of like status quo. Kind of asleep, so to speak. Seems like that's at that point that Satan likes to attack when your guard is down. When things are just kind of Okay. No real major emergencies going on. No real big life situations taking place. Things are just good. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we live in that. Things are just kind of good. Right? And we forget that God is still there. It's one thing when we're going through a crisis. But what about when we're not? Do we still understand the importance and the effectiveness of prayer then? 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us that the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Do you believe that? He's looking for opportunities to get a foothold in your life. And if your guard is down, he'll get a foothold in. If your guard is down, he's going to cause problems. I want to read in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. I say it all the time, as often as we pray, as much as we pray, our greatest, our greatest difficulties are not physical, they're spiritual. As much as we want to pray for the physical, they're not our greatest needs. Our spiritual needs are far greater. So often we can live with the spiritual issues of life. And as we said before, we might even live with a little bit of guilt in our background. I feel guilty that I don't read as much as I should. I feel a little bit bad that I don't pray as often as I ought. I feel a little bit guilty that I don't serve as much as I should. I feel a little bit guilty that I don't give like I ought to. We feel like we, have a, we live with a certain amount of guilt, but not so much as the physical needs. We don't let those things go. We take care of our stomachs when we're hungry. We take care of our bodies when we're tired, we go to sleep. We take care of all the wants that we have physically, and we're okay to let the spiritual things slide. And I'm telling you, it's not the physical things that need addressed, it's the spiritual things. But we're okay with that. 
So he says here, our, 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 our fight is against the, the spiritual forces. Verse 13 says, This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. So he says the only way you are going to be able to stand the devil as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, is to put on the full armor of God. Then here, after he says about the armor, going on to verse 18, he says, pray sometimes. Is that what he says? (laughs) He says pray at all times. That's what the Word says. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And what's he say? Stay alert in this with all perseverance and the intercession for all the saints. So now he's now he's saying not only pray all the time, not only be on guard, but pray for one another. I mentioned last week that as we come together to pray, bottom line is you can't pray for everybody in five minutes. You can't. It takes time. The guys were over here last night praying for an hour and a half because it takes time. If we're going to pray for everybody, it takes time. Sometimes I'm convinced that we not only pray for ourselves, but we don't pray for anyone else either. I'm so tired of seeing the Facebooks. Oh, we're praying for you. Really? Come on, folks. If we're going to truly pray for somebody, pray for them. Don't just make it an idle phrase. Pray for them. Plead out the Holy Spirit for them. That God would work. So he says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And then he says, pray also for me. That the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with with boldness the mystery of the gospel. That would be my request for you. That as I preach that you would pray for me. That it would be with boldness that it would come out. Not just here in the pulpit. In fact, I have a, 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 a portrait on my wall that says, Preach all the time. Use words if necessary. I don't know who put that out. But the bottom line is you better live it. And then he goes on and says, For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak as I should. Question, do we pray for these things? Let's be honest. Not do I intend to pray. Not do I wish I prayed more. Not do I think I should pray more. But are we praying as we ought? It's really easy to pray when things aren't so good. It's really easy to pray when you're in a, in a tough spot, in a bind. But do we pray daily saying, God, I need you. I mean, Paul's, Paul's saying, that, listen, every time I open my mouth, I want somebody to be praying that I have boldness. Do we pray for that? So often I'll hear someone say, well, I don't talk about my faith much because I'm kind of shy. I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm, what if she started asking people to pray for boldness? you think God would answer that prayer? Seriously. you think God would answer that prayer? I think you would. Amen? Let's start praying for that. Let's pray that God would open up some doors of opportunity for us. Back to our text here in Exodus chapter 17. So Satan likes to attack when our guard is down, when things are just so-so, when things are just okay. Let's be on guard. Let's make sure that we're ready. 
Let me give you six observations of Moses while facing the battle. And I think it's the same observations that we need to be, that need to be made in our lives when we're going through the battle, when we're going through difficult times, as we're facing uncertain times. See, the first one is right there in verses 9 and 10. Actually, verse 8. It says that Rephidim, Amalek, came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us to go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in hand. The first observation I want you to notice is that Moses' mind was made up. He said, tomorrow I'm going up. And I'm not going up alone. I'm going up with a staff of God in my hand because I'm expecting God to work. His mind was made up. He didn't hesitate. He didn't walk away from the adversity. He had faith that God was going to do something. And if we're going to go through any situation that's going to come our way, and they will, you better have your mind made up how you're going to deal with it. Because if your mind's not made up, you're going to fail. You're going to miss out on what God is going to try to do in and through that circumstance. In Romans chapter 14, verse 23, the second part of that verse says, For whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. If I can't do it with a clear conscience knowing that God is going to work, that God is going to do something, where's the faith in that? Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's have faith in God. Let's trust Him. You see, most of us, we've, we've come to this place in our life where we have saving faith, but what about sustaining faith? We have faith where we've opened up the dial of our heart, we've slung the door open, put Jesus in there, slammed the door shut, spin the dial, and I'm good. I'm going to heaven, can't nobody take it away from me. Can't nobody get any, get any you know, hands on it either. We need saving faith, but we need sustaining faith too. To trust Him every day for what God wants to do in and through our lives. In fact, that was our last series. Give it away. The faith that God's given to you, share it with somebody. It's a free gift, no strings attached. He did the work. He paid the price. Make up your mind that you're going to trust God and that God's going to work. We're going to come back to a key verse of this series in a few minutes. We see in verse 9, a second observation. It says, Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek, because tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff. The, second, the first observation is that Moses' mind was made up. The second observation is this. Moses believed that God would grant the victory. There was no sense of going up there if he didn't believe God was going to do something. No sense in going. And let me just say this, as I've said before, Hail Mary prayers are kind of like Hail Mary passes in football. They're luck. You say, well, you don't, don't you think I should pray Hail Mary? No. I think there's good biblical scripture as to why not to pray Hail Mary prayers. I think God's in more control of that than that. Amen? I, I think He's well aware of what's going on. I don't think we need a... God knows what he's doing. Seriously. A Hail Mary prayer says, I have no confidence, but I'm hoping something will happen. That's unbiblical. That's untrusting. Moses believed that God would grant the victory. Third observation is this. Moses knew that his prayer would be effective. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, 
while Moses and Aaron Hur went up to the top of the hill. He didn't do it alone, which we'll see in a moment. He knew that his prayer would be effective. How do I know that? Once again, he went up with the staff of God in hand, expecting God to do something. You have to know that your prayers are going to be effective. I've said this a thousand times over the last six and a half years. I hear people every now and again say, well, I pray and nothing changes. I pray and I just don't see God answering. I pray and He just like He doesn't listen. Can I let you in on a secret? Maybe He's not. Why do I know that? Why do I say that? Because Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I cannot pray my heart out to God and say, God, will you? And deal, not deal with sin in my life. That's like your kids saying, you're telling your kids, hey, I want you to clean your room, I want you to vacuum it, I want you to put your clothes away, I want you to empty the trash. But Dad, can I have $50? Have you cleaned your room? Have you taken out the trash? Have you vacuumed? Have you put your clothes away? Now, some of you would probably give them the 50 bucks anyway. But most of us are going to say, wait a minute, something's not right here. I just got done telling you to clean your room, now you want 50 bucks? What's wrong with this? Because we are conditional in what we do at times as humans. We want to see something before we reward, don't we? It's truth. God's not quite that way. But he says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, you're going to come to me not dealing with your sin, but then want me to bless you? See, we want the blessings without the sacrifice. We want the blessings of God without being, having to give up something. It doesn't work that way, folks. Proverbs 28, 13, I believe it is, says that he that covereth a matter shall not prosper. You want to cover sin? God says, I'm not going to prosper that. So yeah, there are times when you say, well, I pray and God's just not at work. And the question I would ask is, how's your walk with God? How's your walk? Are you, are you walking in holiness and righteousness? Are you dealing with sin as God reveals it? You say, well, Pastor, I don't know if there's any sin in my life or not. I, I just don't know. Praise the psalmist, pray, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why? So you lead me in the way of everlasting. I remember the first time a professor in Bible college told me to pray that, and I remember thinking, I know if I've done something wrong or not. Come on. I know what I've done. But just to appease the request of the professor, as he told all of us in the freshman study of prayer class to do, I went out to the end of the soccer field with an empty piece of paper and a pen in hand, and I said, Lord, if there's something in my life that I've not dealt with, would you show it to me? I filled the page. I'm just saying. Don't worry, you'd fill a page too. Or more. I'm just saying, when you want to walk in righteousness and holiness before God, ask Him to reveal anything so that there's no reason why God would not want to hinder your prayers. So that there'd be no reason why God would say, I want to bless you. Does sin really hinder your prayers? Yes, it does. Absolutely does. And there's probably seven or eight different passages of Scripture that teach that. God wants us to walk in fellowship with Him. God wants us to walk, walk in righteousness and holiness. And when we choose to live in the flesh and then throw Hail Mary prayers, God's not going to honor that. Just saying. Number four. Fourth observation I see in the passage that Moses learned that he couldn't face the task alone. I can't tell you how many times in my life I'm going through a struggle, and the first thing that's going through my mind is, is I hope I don't. I hope nobody else knows about it. Anybody else been there? 
I don't want anyone else to know about my problems. Because I want to come into church every week with my Bible saying, Hey, how's it going? Great! And the whole while we know that there's sin lurking at the door. There's struggles that we're facing that we don't want anyone else to know about it. News alert, God already knows. He already knows. Psalm 139 says, no matter where you go, God is there. Hebrews 4 says, all things are naked and open before, before God with whom we have to deal with. And over and over, Scripture is clear. You can't hide anything from God. And God's Word tells us, be sure your sins will find you out. God knows. And whatever the situation may be, whatever the problem is, God's well aware, but you're not going to overcome it by yourself. That's why Moses looked at Joshua and he said, choose some men. Choose some men. Let's go fight them. And then when Moses went up to pray with the staff of God in hand, what did he do? He took Aaron and her with him, realizing that I can't fight this alone. Let me just tell you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're going through something, you can't overcome it alone. You can't. You need God, number one. And number two, you need others praying for you. I'm not saying you have to give all the details, but you need to help have people pray for you. I've come to, in the last six, seven months, that when I'm going through a struggle, there's about two guys I go to in this church, and I say, will you pray? And I know they will. And, I, and most of the time, they'll do it right then and there. I love that. And I've seen God work immediately through that. I mean, instantaneously. I've seen God do, do uh, work through that and answer prayer. But so often we're afraid that somebody might know that we have struggles, that we have problems, that we're going through difficult situations, and we don't want them to know about it. Well, God already knows. And I think sometimes we need to humble ourselves, lose the pride, and get people to pray for us. So it says here in verse 10, Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. He realized he couldn't do it alone. And let me just say this too, is that Joshua had a choice in this too. Joshua could have looked at Moses and said, Moses, you're off your gourd, out of your gourd. You're, you're just crazy. You're nuts. Do you realize that the Amalekites are coming against us? Moses, do you understand what's taking place right here? And you're telling me to go choose a few guys? Really? Seriously? Joshua had a choice too. And the choice was to either follow the advice and the words of his leader or to do his own thing. He chose to respond in obedience. And I think we see this other principle in Scripture throughout. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. Let me just give you real quick. I think it's Luke chapter, it's either Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49, I think it is. The wise man built his house upon a rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Remember the old childhood song we used to sing? The wise man built his house upon... Here's the story. The wise man is symbolic of somebody who hears the word of God and does it. The man who built on the sand, he heard the same word and chose to disobey. The man who built on the rock, the obedience, brought security and blessing. When the storms came, it stood firm. The man who built on the sand, storms came, and it went, as the song goes. 
Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings destruction. You want God's blessing? Walk in obedience. It's that simple. Now let me just say this, just for some of you who are going to be a little bit critical. Does that mean if I obey all the time, I'm going to get everything that I want from God? No. Because blessing is not necessarily equal to having all your prayers answered the way you want them. Even on a difficult day when I am struggling, I am still blessed. Right? Even though I may have a flat tire, I'm still blessed. Even though my roof may leak, I am still blessed. Blessing is not void of problems. It's a mindset that says God's in control. So Moses' mind was made up. Moses believed that God would grant the victory. Moses knew that his prayer would be effective. Moses understood he couldn't face the task alone. And then number five, Moses was reminded afresh of how great God is. Look at verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this down on a scroll, and as a reminder, and recite it to Joshua. Why? Because Joshua is coming up behind him. Now remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. What did he go on to say? The parents were to tell their children what happened, how good God was, and what God had been doing. And they were to tell their children, they were to tell their children, and they were to tell their children, and so on and so forth for all eternity. And somewhere it didn't happen. But it was a responsibility to carry on to the next generation how good God was. And Joshua coming up behind Moses, he wanted to know, he wanted him to know what God had been doing. So he goes on, he says, write this day down on a scroll and as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. I mean, that's a pretty serious word. You're not going to have to deal with these Amalekites anymore. <laughs> I got them taken care of. Remember this day and what God has done. Remember how God answered your prayers. Remember how God stood firm. Remember what God did. Let me back up just for a moment. Something else just came to my mind again. There are not only times that you need to understand you can't go the battle alone. There are going to be those times where you need an Aaron and her on one side or the other holding your arms up. Keeping you focused towards heaven. But God may have for some of you to be that Aaron or her. Maybe God would gift you with that gift of prayer where you'll constantly pray for those who come to you. And can I just encourage you that when someone says pray, don't just haphazardly say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. Truly pray. Not pray for them, but pray with them. Take a moment and pray. And then pray often. Pray all the time. Be the true picture of Aaron and her that they need. Sustain them through the struggle. But Moses had to take them with, too, by the way. You're going through the struggle. You need to take some people with you. Moses was reminded afresh of how great God is. He said, write this down. Let it be a constant reminder. And he said, verse 16, he said, Indeed, my hands lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. My hands were lifted up. God took control. 
just a reminder over and over in the last observation that Moses was reminded that God wants to work and that we need to pray. God wants to work. You have to know that. Let me give you one more verse that you're going to hear over and over again throughout this entire series for the next few weeks. Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. You know the verse. It's familiar. It says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. I love that. Without faith. Well, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Do you have faith? Not just saving faith, but sustaining faith. Faith to know that God is in control every day. It says, without faith, the assurance or the realization of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things unseen, faith is confidence in God and what He says is so. Do we have that kind of faith? Faith believes in God's ability to do what man cannot do. And you have to know that in most circumstances, there's not a lot you can do about it. When someone's going through a difficult illness, a disease, no amount of money is going to fix that. It might pay for some good doctors, but healing comes from God. No amount of money is going to fix the world's problems. You need faith. He says three things are true in that verse. You must understand that without faith, you cannot please God. When's the last time you've had to put your faith to work? You see, we live in a culture and a day and an age where most of us don't have to really have a whole lot of faith to live day to day. That's just truth. Let's be honest. Most of us have an income, and with that income, we pay for our gas, we buy our clothes, we buy our food, pay our rent, our mortgage, life. Job covers it. Where's faith? talked about this the Lord's Prayer give us this day our daily bread but as we're looking in the freezer hmm what do we want today and there's 27 things to choose from open up the cupboards 27 things to choose from but we're praying give us this day our daily bread we don't live by faith not for the most part say well is that bad No, I'm just saying we don't understand and realize and understand the significance of truly living by faith. We don't. We are blessed, right? Above anybody, we are blessed. Go to some of the other countries where some of these folks are from. Go to India. Go to Africa. It's an eye-opener. Go to Mexico. It's crazy the things that we take for granted on a daily, on an hourly basis. And he says, without faith, you can't please God. So where do you exercise your faith? You see, we don't really exercise it in our provision. We don't really exercise it in our protection. I wonder if we should start exercising it in our desire to see God do something. You see, a lot of us can sit here week after week after week and be challenged by the 
preacher's word to share our faith and go out and change nothing. Two hands and a foot. You got to stand on one. We're all guilty. Right? We're challenged by it, but not enough to change. I wonder if we should exercise some faith in saying, God, would you open up some doors? I'm going to trust you to do that. God, I'm going to trust you that when you open the door, you're going to give me the words to say because you promised to do that. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and sound mind. Second Timothy. Acts 1, you've given us boldness and courage to go out and do what you've asked us to do. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith that you're going to open up those doors, and I'm going to have faith that you're going to lead me through them. I wonder if that'd be an area that we could exercise our faith in. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we don't get to pick and choose the areas of faith we want to, you know, just surrender. It's not smorgasbord Christianity. Number two, you must understand that he really exists. That's what God's word says in Hebrews 11, 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. You say, well, of course I believe God exists. I mean, functionally, we all believe he exists, right? I mean, if I say, is there a God? You say, of course. I mean, I mean, what kind of a nut job doesn't believe there's God? Of course we believe he exists. Functionally. Factually, I should say. But functionally, do we incorporate him into the aspects of our life daily? It's just a question. I ask the questions that God brings to my mind because I think those are things that maybe I struggle with too as well. I know what I know, but I also know what I do. And sometimes there's a gap between that. Maybe you experience that. It needs to be more than just a head knowledge. We live... You see, let me put it this way. I know my wife exists. How do I know she exists? Well, A, I'm married to her. I have children with her. I sleep in the same room with her every night. She's right there. How do I know that? I spend time with her. How do you know God exists? Are you spending time with Him? Are you talking with Him? You're listening to what He wants to say to you? How do you know God functionally exists in your life daily? Not just head knowledge, but practical. I'm facing him. I'm talking with him. He's talking with me. I see his hand at work in my life. He opens and closes doors. He speaks to me. So it says, without faith you can't please God. If you're going to come to him, you better believe he's there and he's listening. And number three, you must believe that he wants to reward those who seek him. That's what he says. He says, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Can I just say once again, if you're going to pray half-heartedly, half, half the Hail Mary prayer, well, God, you know, I want you to do this, and that's where it stops. Why do you bother? I'm, I'm being serious. Why do you bother? If you don't, if you don't believe God's going to answer, why do you even start? Seriously. It says, they that come to God must believe that he exists and he's going to reward those that seek him. Now, does that mean I'm going to get the answer I want every time? No. But I have to believe that he's going to hear me, that he's going to answer, and that he's going to work. 
may not be the answer I want. It may not be when I want to hear it. But I believe he's going to listen. I believe he's going to respond. 100%. You have to know that he wants... He, what kind of narcissistic God would say, go ahead and ask me if I'm never going to answer? God's not that like that. God wants to bless. God wants to answer. But if you don't believe he's going to, you won't be disappointed. What do we learn about facing difficult situations? It's a familiar passage. But Moses, in facing the Amalekites, it happened at a moment when things were generally okay. And most of us in this room, for the most part, everything is generally okay. You better be on guard. You better be on guard. Because when you let your guard down, that's when Satan's going to get a foothold in the door of your life. And you better make up your mind that you're going to fight. You're not just going to sit back and take it. You're going to fight. You're not going to give up. You're not going to turn and run. You notice I read from Ephesians chapter 6. I didn't read about all the parts of the armor. But you know what one part is not mentioned? The backside. You know why that is? God doesn't want you to run from the struggle. Face it. Nothing happens by running. Face the battle. He's giving you the tools. You better believe that God's going to grant the victory. But you've got to respond in the right attitude. You've got to know that your prayer is going to be effective. You've got to know that you can't face the battles alone. Sometimes you need to be a Moses. Take a couple people with you and say, pray for me. Moses realized he couldn't do it alone. And when you're an Aaron and a Hur, commit to being an Aaron and a Hur. Don't just say, yeah, I'll pray, and then not do it. Follow through. I need people to pray. You need people to pray. And then be reminded afresh of how great God is, even when he answers no, even when he says, not now. Even when he says, I know you want this, but I'm going to do this. You have to know how great God is through it all. And then be reminded that God wants to work. He wants to answer. He wants to reward those who diligently seek him. But that's our responsibility, to diligently seek him. See, some of us are sitting in the congregation right now saying, well, you don't know my struggle. You don't know what I'm facing. You're right, I don't. I don't need to know unless you want me to pray for it, and I will. But God knows. You can hide it from everyone else, but you can't hide it from God. And that's also true of the things that you're hiding from others, but you can't hide from God. The sin areas that are hindering your prayer life. Why not just give it all to God? Why not just surrender it? Why not just say, I'm going to pray with an expectation that God's going to work? I think sometimes we delay God's answer because we delay surrendering. 
I know how many times in my life I try to kick a door open and God's just like, go ahead, kick away, but that's not the door I want you to go through. And then you're so bold as that I want to get, finally get that door open. Look what God did. And God's like, I did not do that. That's just your weight and a bunch of force kicking that door open. And God's saying, just surrender to me. I got a better door. You don't have to kick it. I'll just open it for you. But we're thick-skinned and hard-headed. We're going to do things our own way sometimes. And God's saying, just trust me.